This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, I'm Nicole. And I'm Amanda. We wanted to tell you about Change Lab, a long-form interview podcast that explores the transformative power of creativity. Hosted by Lauren M. Buckman, the show is produced by Art Center College of Design, a global leader in art and design education. As Lauren discusses in his new book, Make to Know, and as his guests confirm, creativity is not a matter of instant enlightenment. Rather, it's a process of braving the unknown and route to knowing what it is that we're meant to make. This ninth season lineup includes interviews with author Amy Bender, visual artist Anne Hamilton, Whirlpool design chief Tisha Johnson, Lincoln Park performer and illustrator Mike Shinoda, and pioneering installation artist Diana Thader. Change Lab shines a spotlight on the little and big dramas that comprise the artistic life of people who can't help but make something where before there was nothing. Subscribe, listen, and enjoy Change Lab wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Beyond the Studio listeners, welcome back. It's Nicole here, and typically Amanda and I co-host every episode, uh, but in this case, I'll be your host for today because we have a really special interview with Amanda. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Back when we first started the podcast in 2017, the very first episodes that we did were interviews between the two of us. Uh, We thought it was important to share a little bit about our own stories since we're all in this process of learning together through Beyond the Studio. We really wanted to share where we're coming from and talk a little bit about our own career journeys. And these interviews are often the first point of entry for new listeners of the podcast to get to know us and our work. So we wanted to uh, come back and record an update because so much has changed for us personally in the last four years. Um, So if you really want to hear about Amanda's early career journey, you can go back and listen to episode two. Um, In episode three, she interviews me. So our next episode of the podcast, um, Amanda will be interviewing me. Um, But today we're really excited to feature Amanda and talk about what has changed for her and Close Call Studio, her creative business um, in the last four years. So Amanda, welcome to our podcast. Oh, thank you for having me at our podcast. It feels so great to be back. (laughs) If this is your first time listening, I'm one of your hosts of this here podcast, Beyond the Studio. And uh, yeah, like Nicole said, we interviewed each other at the very beginning of the podcast when we were probably like 27, 27, 28 years old. And I feel like now we're on the other side of 30. We've learned some lessons. We've got some different feelings than we did on the other on the other side. So we figured we'd do an update and I'm excited to do that. And uh, I love doing these interviews for the podcast because it's such a cool opportunity to kind of hear where someone's at at a very specific point in time. And 
you know, what I say today may not apply tomorrow or may not, you know, I may feel very differently five years from now or four years from now, but uh, it's always nice to look back and get a little bit of perspective. So I'm happy to be back on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we first recorded that interview in 2017, um, we talked a lot about the origins of Close Call Studio, your creative business. And at that point, you I don't think you were even full time with it. Um, So maybe just to start off, you could give us a recap, uh, catch listeners up to speed and talk about uh, where you were at that point in time. What did your life and business look like? Yeah. So uh, I guess if you if you don't want to listen to that episode or if you listen to it so long ago that you no longer remember, I'm Amanda. I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I went to MICA, uh, the Maryland Institute College of Art. For my bachelor's degree and I studied photography there but then ended up not doing photography so much after school while in school started my business close call studio started that in 2012 then in 2017 was able to go full-time with close call studio which is also the same year we started the podcast so when we started and you interviewed me many years ago I was still working a day job. I was still like, yeah, definitely going to keep doing this. Um, And then I got rid of that day job a few months after we did that recording. And that that was like, I was just working in a restaurant. It wasn't a really important job to me, but they ended up closing the restaurant. So that job went away and that sort of forced me into going full time. But it was right before the holiday season was starting. So I was able to then kind of focus on that. So it was a really good time to transition out of a day job for me professionally. But yeah, in that in that first interview, I still had the day job. As far as like, just recording goes, I feel like we were so nervous and so like, unsure of how to have an interview and how to talk on a podcast. I feel like we were so, or at least <laughs> I think we recorded those first interviews four or five times and then yeah. stitched them together into one conversation. <laughs> Yeah, we totally did. Just between like, not knowing how to record, having audio problems, feeling really nervous, and just like feeling insecure with our answers and like having that vulnerability afterwards of like, Oh, God, I can't believe the sound of my own voice, which I still feel that way. But my mom assures me every time she hears an episode that I sound great. So thanks, mom. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like also, uh, again, podcasting specific, I feel like my editing has gotten way better than in those early episodes. The sound quality has improved. So that's a big improvement. Mostly talked about my college years and early life and kind of how and why I started the business. And I sang the praises of doing consignment and wholesale, which I've almost completely eliminated because of burnout and conversations that we've had on this podcast that helped me to kind of realize that those were not the best use of my time. Yeah, so no more day job, been building up the podcast. Oh, I also said that I was going to do a craft show database on that podcast. I never did that. And now since the pandemic, I haven't done any craft shows in almost two years. So my have things changed. (laughs) 
Yeah, we talked a lot about how your business was structured at that point. And I remember also talking about how that early opportunity to sell your work through anthropology gave some added credibility to your fledgling creative business and opened up other opportunities to sell your work wholesale through various boutiques. Um, and like you said, you were also doing a lot of craft shows to sell your work in person. So I've gotten to witness the changes in your business model over the years, both as a product of your own growth and experience, um, but then also through this last year as a result of COVID and the pandemic. Um, so I wondered if you could talk a little more about how your business model has changed from then until now. Um, what are the different income streams that make up Close Call Studio? Yeah. Uh, let's see if I can find my my pie charts. Um, so we can share these visuals with the episode. Uh, over the years, I've made a few pie charts on my various streams of income. And I haven't made one for every year, but I at least have the one for 2018. And again, we'll share this with the episode. But my streams of income were kind of divided between my online store, craft shows, uh, wholesale and consignment, the podcast, and miscellaneous freelance work. Um, it was like primarily craft shows and wholesale. They they both took up like a third of, of it each. And then the rest of it was mostly the online store and then a little bit of freelance and a little bit from the podcast. And I didn't do one for 2019, but the 2021, I didn't do any craft shows at all because of COVID, obviously. My online store was 59% of my 2020 income. Wholesale was 26%, which after last year, I've even further re reduced my wholesale. Um, and then the rest of it was pretty evenly divided between freelance uh, which includes like speaking engagements, um, podcasting, and uh, commissioned work, which I used to do more commissioned work, but I've been doing it less. So 2020 definitely, or the pandemic in general, definitely forced me to shift the way I was doing my business. I was definitely headed in the direction of doing more craft shows, but I also was feeling pretty exhausted physically from doing craft shows. It's it's a lot of driving, a lot of standing, a lot of saying the exact same thing over and over again, a lot of carrying stuff, <laughs> just carrying lots of things back and forth, back and <laughs> forth. Um, and a lot of waiting until the appropriate time to pee, which is never because you usually do those things alone to save money. And then you're like, Oh, great, I get to stand here for 12 hours, how am I going to pee or find food? I mean, you plan for that. But I basically realized that uh, doing craft shows was pretty exhausting. And it wasn't super sustainable. And it's just a mix. It's a mixed bag. There's more overhead, because you have to have things there, you have to pay fees, you have to get your stuff there, than it was to like sell stuff online. But that was sort of that theory was forced into into the test through the pandemic by not being able to do any craft shows. So even though I knew I wanted to change the way I did them, I just ended up stopping them entirely. Um, and I may go back to them, but I would definitely be a little bit more selective 
Do you think had it not been for the pandemic that you would have continued to do craft shows um, on a regular basis? Or was that something that you were already trying to scale back on? I remember, and I probably could find it in like our old texts, but remember how I used to make those, uh, the board with the goals? Um, yes. So, which we should get and, back to now that it seems I know I do it again. <laughs> possible to think about the future again. But yeah, I think I'll, we just stopped that altogether for a time. I think I still have it. So I'll, I'll post pictures of it if I do. But basically, a couple of years, I made these giant goal sheets on poster board where I had a section for Beyond the Studio, a section for Close Call Studio, and a section for a third business that I wanted to try to start and I just never got around to that maybe I'll get to one day. Uh, So that's still in the dream phase. But on the goal sheet, I was tracking our social metrics, like how many followers, how many listeners, how many downloads, how many email subscribers, just to kind of get an idea of our growth and sort of what what was working, just creating my own analytics. And then for 2020, I had come up with like a plan. I made space to do like 12 craft shows for Close Call Studio. For Beyond the Studio, I was like, maybe we do some in-person things. Um, and I would like chart out how many episodes we wanted to release and kind of when we wanted to reach a certain download number or just whatever ideas. And obviously a lot of the goals that I had set for myself before the pandemic started, then forced to shift those goals. But a lot of the goals that I had had, the pandemic sort of forced them to happen, where I knew I needed to create better boundaries between my work and my life. I was really doing that like glorifying working all the time thing. I mean, I didn't really believe in that, but I felt like the need to hold myself to that standard, both out of like pressure and capitalism, I guess, (laughs) but also (laughs) out of, you know, just fear when, you know, you're not sure if you're going to, if your business is going to make it or going to succeed. And you're like, I don't know if this project is going to sell. I don't know if this is going to work. But then through the pandemic, was definitely forced to take my mental health seriously and and take those boundaries more seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'm like answering any questions or just going on tangents, but <laughs> we did say this is definitely going to be a way less formal conversation than the first one. Yeah, I think a lot has obviously shifted as a result of the pandemic, but it's also interesting to hear about how it may have accelerated some ultimately positive changes for you in your personal life or with the way that you were structuring close call. I'm wondering if you could also share about your decision to cut back on wholesale, if that was similarly sparked by the pandemic or something that you realized um, you you wanted to do long term? And then also how you made that shift into selling more directly to people online. Did you notice a dip in overall income because of the pandemic? Or were you able to pretty seamlessly shift away from having wholesale and in-person craft shows take up the majority of your of your business to selling directly to to customers online? Yes. I think, I don't know, maybe if I break it up by by year, it's a little bit easier to understand. 
Um, so we started the podcast obviously in 2017. So around that point, I was all like, yay, wholesale, yay, consignment, definitely want to keep doing that. Because in my brain, that was the best way to grow my business and to get my stuff in front of more eyes in more places. And kind of the same idea with craft shows, like just getting my stuff directly in front of people, quite literally. And Probably in 2018 and 2019, I had a big jump in my wholesale where it had been maybe supplementary with my income a little bit here and there before it started to become about a third, if not maybe even almost half of my income. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of work that I had to produce to make the amount of money required to survive and to, you know, be able to be self-employed. And I was sort of at a turning point where I was like, I either need to hire people because I physically can't produce this amount. And it's like wearing on my body. I can only sew so much before my hands start to hurt. And, you know, if I'm at that time, late 20s with like aching hands, what does that mean for my career life, you know, as an as an artist for my life? So I had to really think, like, do I continue to destroy my body for really low prices or do I hire people, which goes against my kind of ethos as a, I don't know, as a business owner. Like, I knew I couldn't afford to pay anybody. So if I was going to outsource, there was just no way to do it in a way that was fair to either the person that I was like, okay, I'm not willing to wreck my hands, you do it. (laughs) And I want to make more money for it. So I was like, I knew I couldn't go in that direction. So I had to figure out, okay, I don't know. And then through the pandemic, I wasn't able to do craft shows. And that took away a bunch of my income. So I sort of had wanted to reduce wholesale, but was too, too nervous through 2020 to reduce wholesale. I was like, I'm too afraid. I, I don't know if I'll be able to make it through a pandemic with all these other forced structural changes. Like, can I afford to say no? Um, so mm-hmm. I just said yes. And then by the end of the year, especially for the holiday season, it was horrible. It was exhausting. I was overworked. I was really behind. It was also a really difficult year as far as getting things shipped to people. Yeah. Customer service was like, it made me cry every day. Every time I checked my email, I was just like, oh, another person is pissed at me because mail is affected by the pandemic and it's apparently my fault and I'm apparently ruining Christmas for multiple families. Like it was, it was so bad. Um, So through that, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And we had had that uh, conversation on the podcast with Sarah Husseini, and she had talked about how she was reducing wholesale or, or cutting off wholesale. And just hearing her describe what I was feeling, I was like, oh, I feel so seen right now. And like, I can see that you need these boundaries, but I don't know how to establish them for myself. But if I can see that you need it, I probably do too. So through that conversation, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to reduce wholesale. And after last year's holiday season, and I will share this as well. I um, I did a series on Instagram called Let's Talk Business, where I was like, I'm tired of, of these like fantasy versions of, of what a small business is like, or this fantasy that people have 
of what running a small business is like. So I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to set my boundaries. I'm going to say, "Here, here are my yeses, here are my noes. And if people come with questions, I can just direct them there. And that actually, and I had learned this um, from talking to my sister-in-law when she was describing how through the pandemic, uh, there was a time where she was like, I may lose my job. Like, I, I don't care. I am so burnt out. I'm so exhausted. I cannot keep doing this. So she was like, I'm just going to start saying no to things that I am that are above my capacity. I'm going to stop trying to bend over backwards to, you know, appease my job. Mm-hmm. And she thought, okay, this is going to be the thing that's going to get me fired, but I'm so burnt out. I don't care. But what actually happened was because she just said no to stuff, people started th- realizing that her time was valuable and they stopped asking her to do things that they could do themselves. So rather than you know, constantly running to her to do things that she normally was like, okay, fine, I'll just do it. She was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And they just stopped asking. And then she ended up getting like way more respect at work and like getting back some of her time. So I was like, okay, isn't that fascinating? (laughs) How can I do that too? Like, how can I also start saying no and set really clear expectations and boundaries and tell people like, no, you're going to respect my time because I'm going to respect my time. I just didn't expect that it would work, but it has been. And I I know that like when I communicate really clearly, people tend to not only like be more uh, respectful of my time, but they also like communicate that and acknowledge it more. They're like, I really appreciate that. Like, I don't know, it just has mm. injected so much more humanity into it and... I think before the pandemic, I was very focused on like business and marketing and professionalism and like trying to grow. And now I'm like, I'm a human. I have <laughs> human limits and human boundaries. And I'm I'm not trying to seem superhuman. Yeah, I would like to think and hope that is something that just universally has become more, I don't know, mainstream <laughs> throughout the pandemic. Just this. Yeah you know, increased sense of empathy that we're all dealing with our own challenges. Meanwhile, trying to collectively navigate this crisis together. And so, you know, maybe we can be a little bit more understanding of one another. And yeah, it's so interesting to hear too, how it can be so hard to create these boundaries in our own lives for fear of either how we'll be perceived or the impact they may have on our Mm -hmm. business. Or I always think about it too, for for me, like how much is rooted in this fear of, right, if I say no to this opportunity or to this person or this request, like, will there be another one? Or will they consider me in the future? Or, you know, am I going to lose out on something? And I think what you're describing is really empowering because when you do say no to things, it actually, you're teaching people how to treat you. And when you start to respect your own boundaries, as a consequence, other people start to respect them. And I just think that's something that I wish I would have learned earlier on or been more comfortable with, I think, just putting those boundaries in place. Because it's so hard to do. I think especially when you're I mean, at every stage, but when you're young in your career and you feel like you just have to say yes to everything, yeah, it can be really powerful to learn how to say no. Yeah. And I mean, I hope that, and I, I think 
this is happening and and I guess we'll see how far it can really go. But I think through the pandemic, there's been a real shift in perspective on work and labor, what that means, what it's valued at, what we want our quality of life to look like, what we want our time to look like. And I think before the pandemic, so many of us were just sort of like in a ball rolling downhill, like you just you had to keep going with this forward momentum and you didn't have any time to pause and think like, is this even the direction I want to go in? But through the pandemic and being forced to pause, I mean, so many of us have been forced to pause, whether it's in showing our work, producing our work, participating in our communities, it's forced us to kind of think like, is this the direction I want to keep going in? And and is this the structure that makes sense to me? And is this how I want to live my life and spend my time? And there were some aspects before of how I was living my life and spending my time that I liked and some aspects I really miss, like I miss travel, obviously haven't been doing much of that or any of that. But I realized that a lot of how I was spending my time with my work was not sustainable for my, you know, for my body or or for my mind, um, or even for my creative practice. If I'm working constantly, I'm going to definitely burn out creatively. And then it's like, then what can I do until I can get that back? (laughs) Yeah, I wondered if you could talk about how you've been able to put some of those boundaries in place too. Um, And I love that series that you did on Instagram. And you were just so transparent, I think, with every aspect of what it really looks like to be a, a human, a creative person, and how those show up in your business so that other people know what to expect. So everybody listening, you should definitely go check it out. Um, is it in your stories or do you just scroll back through your feed? Um, I have it in my feed, but I have everything sort of business related under the hashtag let's talk business close call, which I can, we can link that in the, uh, the show notes and I can at least include the visuals, which, um, Oh yeah. We'll share those on beyond the studio. Yeah. I did a nine part series called let's talk business. Uh, the sections are, uh, meet your maker, wholesale, sharing my work, uh, shipping and packaging, labor, time, and money, pricing and discounts, sustainability, values, and email and social media. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's so much in line with what we talk about on Beyond the Studio. And I think for a lot of creatives listening who maybe recognize that they need better boundaries in their own work and life, and they want to start saying no to things or communicating that to people, um, but just aren't sure how to do that, Uh, Do you have any examples of when you've had to put a boundary in place and how you were able to communicate that? Yeah. So let's see. Some boundaries that I've had to set in place have been around, um, like for social media, I I have um, ADHD in addition to other things. Um, And something with ADHD, obviously you have trouble with your attention, with your focus, but a lot of folks with ADD or ADHD also can get really sucked into screens for a long time, and um, I've always had a hard time with social media, like, back since MySpace and, like, 
AOL instant messaging. <laughs> I just, I love technology. I loved communicating with people through social media. So it, it's really easy for me to get sucked into it and to spend way too much time on it. And that in turn affects the way I view myself and the way that I view my work. And it totally fucks with my self-esteem. It fucks with my confidence in my art. I just end up doubting myself constantly the more I spend time on social media. So I have created some boundaries for myself where I treat social media as job hours. So I don't use social media on the weekends anymore. Uh, that also includes email and I'm trying not to do any work on the weekends. But if I feel like making art on the weekends, I'm going to let myself do that. But I also have set boundaries on like what I'm willing to respond to, what I'm willing to see, like used a lot of the tools within Instagram, especially to like filter stuff out, like hateful comments and things like that. I'm like, nope, don't want to see it. Won't let it get to me. <laughs> if I don't see it, it's not there. Um, like you can put restrictions with uh, specific words that won't be posted. And I try to take off a couple months out of the year from social media as a whole, which also is a nice reset to kind of get back to it. But I try to not keep the apps on my phone at all. I'll download it, do my posts for the day, delete it. And then if I have to check it again before the end of the workday, I will. With working from home in general, it's been hard to create boundaries. When we moved into our house, which I can talk more about that later, but when we, we bought a house earlier this year, and one of the reasons that we wanted to buy, um, in addition to home ownership and having a place we could work on and building equity, um, both Mike and I, um, both artists, we were sharing a studio space and my stuff <laughs> was really taking over the entire house or the entire apartment we were living in before. So I needed to create some physical boundaries around my work where I now have a studio that is my studio. I have all of my work in here. I have all of my inventory in here. Um, it's no longer impeding on our living space. Let's see, I set some boundaries as far as uh, commissions and freelance for myself. I basically used to say yes to everything because I was like, this is an opportunity. This is money. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And now I, I'm going to set a price. And if they can't pay that, I'm not doing it. But I also am only going to mm -hmm. say yes to projects that I have time for and that I am excited to do and have an idea about. I've had, you know, folks come with commission ideas and it, it just doesn't excite me. Or I know that like the amount of feedback that they would give, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want feedback from clients. I don't do well with it. I work for myself because I don't like having a boss. And I realized in client work I had done before, it just, I don't know, having people edit my work made me really mad. So it just always ended up making me feel like it wasn't worth the money and it wasn't worth the frustration. So I've mostly reduced commissions um, and freelance unless they're literally like, we will pay what you ask. You have full creative freedom. We will make no edits. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> uh, which usually only comes from like friends or people that have already commissioned stuff that I'm like, yeah, you're a dream client. And that has extended to wholesale as well. Like I used to say yes to all wholesale and now 
I only say yes to wholesale from the few existing clients that I have already established really good relationships with so that I know that like one of them is this food co-op in West Virginia where they use my my little handmade felt fruits and veggies as like a gift when you sign up for their CSA or when you uh, like sponsor a neighborhood community garden. And I'm like, of course I want to work with them. Like that's so dreamy. And same thing with like a, a couple small businesses that sell my cat toys that I've worked with for years. But yeah, lots of bad, bad experiences have led me to set better boundaries to try to save myself the, the grief and frustration. Yeah, and some of it, well, a lot of it, I think, is sort of figuring out through experience what <laughs> works for you and what doesn't work for you. Totally. I feel like we've all had to learn you know, what our own personal set of criteria is when it comes to taking on new projects. But I love that sometimes setting a boundary can look like, you know, deciding what types of projects to say yes or no to. And then sometimes it can look like a physical boundary, just finding a way to give you and Mike more space uh, to, to yourselves to be able to focus on your work and um, not have it interfere with your personal lives so much. Yeah, I wanted to um, go back and ask you again about this shift away from wholesale that you made. And if it was, it seemed like a kind of a double-edged sword, like doing these in-person craft shows and then selling your work wholesale was a way to get your work and name out in front of a wider audience. But I guess, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but when you're doing wholesale, you're typically selling your work at like a 50% reduction. Is that true? Because mm-hmm. they're purchasing up front. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, much like for a fine artist, if you're working with a gallery or a consultant, um, so they're usually taking a large commission of the work. So I can really understand how <laughs> that would create a lot of added work for you to be making less of a commission off of your own own handmade work. So when you shifted to selling your work almost exclusively online, um, did you find that it was, I, I guess, what was that transition like? You know, were, was it pretty easy to eliminate those or re- reduce those income streams? Um, did you find new ways of kind of growing your audience independently of those Um, how were you able to make that change? Let's see. I have my little like timeline notes on here. Um, yeah. So in 2018 and 2019, I was doing a lot of wholesale and I think a lot of the shift, like I said, it came from the conversation that I had or that we had with Sarah Husseini, where she had talked about when she had kind of hit her wall with wholesale and she thought to herself, and I'm probably going to paraphrase here, but something along the lines of like, I'm producing all of this work and selling it for half price. I could e- I could be producing half of this and make the same amount, or I could be selling mm-hmm. all of this full price myself and be making way more money. Like, why am I exhausting myself for someone else to profit off of my labor when I know I'm not even really profiting much off of my own labor? And... However she phrased it, it hit me and that got me to really start thinking about how I wanted to change wholesale. And so I think we had that conversation last summer and and we're recording this now in the late summer, early fall of 2021. 
But in the fall of 20, or summer or fall, whenever, when we talked to Sarah, I kind of decided to myself, like, okay, if I can make it through a full year of a pandemic with my business still afloat, then I'm going to try to cut out wholesale next year because maybe I can make the shift. So I, and really, I made a lot of shifts in my business after talking to her because I just really respect the way that she runs her business and she's really thoughtful about it and she has thought about the necessary boundaries to make it sustainable and I had not so I was like okay Sarah let me let me learn from your wisdom um (laughs) but and actually a, a lot of what I learned also came from the conversation that we also had on the podcast with Sarah Benning I just have learned a lot from Sarah's um but also from all of our podcast guests of course but yeah I sort of was gauging a lot of my decisions business-wise for 2021 based on how 2020 went because I was just sort of like if I can make it through this year a full year of a pandemic with you know being self-employed then I can start to make adjustments from there because I knew I like I'm not doing craft shows this year I'm not sure if I'll do them next year I don't know when I'll go back to craft shows I guess not till COVID is like a thing we talk about in past tense uh, and mean it. Um, mm-hmm. And we're not there yet. Uh, so through the pandemic, I had a lot of growth online since obviously that was the only way I was able to communicate with people. But a lot of growth came on social media. I had done like an, uh, a lettering series at the beginning of the year that was inspired by our talk with Monique Amy because I was like, I want to practice my lettering, so I'll do that. So I'd been doing a lot more illustration and then got to really enjoy it. So I was doing more drawings last year and the illustrated work is a lot more shareable on social media than some of my other work. You were blowing up. (laughs) Yeah, it was very very weird um, because it was like I had – now I've been in business for, or Close Call Studio has been around for like nine years. And there was like very minimal growth for the first like seven years. And then on the social last media, years, you mean? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like maybe, I think before the pandemic, I think maybe I had somewhere around like six to 7,000 people following my work. And now it's, I don't know where it is now. It It peaked sometime last year and then it's been dropping uh since then um but you jumped from like 6,000 to 30,000 almost yeah overnight it seemed like over I think mostly in a month and I think that was when I was I was definitely speaking much more politically I mean I had always been really honest about my beliefs and my values with my business before but I was just like I especially as protests were happening I was like I need to do something so I was just drawing a ton and then stuff got to started getting shared more which was not my like thoughts behind it or goal behind it but yeah but it really resonated with people yeah it it was really helpful to get in front of more eyes and then I just through the last year especially have noticed that Instagram is just really unpredictable and social media in general. I mean, Instagram is the only one that I'm on. There's like, I think once a month, I think like, should I make a TikTok? Is this the thing I have to do? And then I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, but I, 
realize that social media, it's just really unpredictable. It's constantly changing. You don't own your audience. So I was thinking, Instagram's not going to last forever. So the people that want to buy from me, I need to find a way to capture them. So I, this is a really long answer from your wholesale question, but basically simultaneously, while also getting, you know, getting rid of wholesale for the most part, I also shifted my business model from basically releasing stuff as I made it to while also doing like pre-sale type work to now I'm doing scheduled shop updates like once every six to eight weeks where I make everything that I can and everything that I feel like making and I have to also plan like okay if I need to earn this amount of money how much of what things do I have to produce to make that happen Mm. but I made a bunch of shifts simultaneously to try to make it make more sense. And so now a shop update looks like like monetarily what a really like a really good craft show used to be. So mm-hmm. as long as I time them right and I produce the right the right work for the right amount of money, like as long as I plan it properly, I can kind of make up for the lack of wholesale and the lack of markets and it's just been a lot of shifting. Yeah, that's really helpful to hear though because it's not as if you just woke up one day and decided I'm not going to do wholesale anymore. It seems no. like it was the product of a lot of slow shifts and mm-hmm. starting to grow your own audience independently whether through social media or starting to transition those followers onto an email list so that you could communicate more directly with them. And then I think it's also interesting how you were able to, by doing that, slowly reclaim more of your own time. And this kind of goes into this conversation about boundaries. And instead of making all of this work on demand or like made to order as, you know, people are buying things from your shop or wholesale orders are coming in, now you're in control of your schedule because you have these pre-scheduled releases where you're Mm -hmm. you know sharing an entire new collection of work or new series but you're able to pace it out over however many weeks or month in a way that fits your own schedule and you also are giving yourself more control over the income that comes in um, by being able to predict you know what based on what you're releasing, how much you can expect to make through that next uh, drop or release. So I just think it's, um, yeah, it's really helpful to hear really how you went about doing that because I think kind of wanting to make those changes is one thing, but starting to kind of implement some new systems to allow yourself to do that is another. Yeah. And by the way, these interviews that Amanda's mentioned will include links to in our show notes, but they can all be found in um, season two, I be- no, season three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Monique Amy was the very first episode we did for Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition, um, and then Sarah Husseini of Not Work Related, and Sarah K. Benning uh, was a little bit more recent, um, but those are all in season three. Yeah. Can you can you tell that all three guests were my personal requests of like I need to learn from these women because they know what they're doing and I want to know what I'm doing. 
Yeah, that's the whole reason we started the podcast was to learn from other artists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is actually a great segue um, to maybe talking a little bit about the podcast, um, because obviously in the span of time, we've been working on and growing beyond the studio. And mm-hmm. I can think of so many examples for me personally of the, how conversations we've had have you know affected my own work and how I approach my own career, but I would love to know about some things that you've learned through the podcast or through conversations we've had that you've been able to apply to your own life and business. And you've mentioned some already, like the conversations that we just had. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think from, this is a very diplomatic answer, but from (laughs) every interview that we have had on the podcast, I have had personal takeaways that I take into my life and it, you know, changes the way that I think, changes the way that I work, changes the way that I communicate. I feel like in a very broad sense, just speaking to the artists that we've been able to speak to has really made me think a little bit differently, especially in the art world. I've gotten so much more perspective from hearing from folks that are, it's like, we're, we're working in the same world, but we're also working in very different worlds. And we all come from completely different backgrounds and experiences and, and work in different ways and work with different mediums and, and present our work in different ways. And it's been amazing to be able to learn from so many people. And obviously within the last season, talking with Sarah, Sarah, Sarah and Monique, I got a lot of takeaways because their businesses look they don't necessarily look the same as mine, but they look pretty similar. So it's easy for me to take super applicable takeaways from artists with like maker type businesses because um, that translates really well. That's a really vague answer to say I've learned a lot from everybody, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to pick a favorite. <laughs> For some reason, this is a funny example, but I keep, I don't know if it was Sarah Husseini or Monique Amy that um, suggested it, but I remember talking about that label printer that oh, you yeah. ended up purchasing. Sarah. <laughs> Which oh, yeah, is a really small practical example. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like every everyone we talked to that has suggested some type of uh, tool or platform or, or a, a book or a podcast, or even materials like what label printer to use. Those are those are super helpful. I remember learning a lot, especially around social media and managing that from our conversation with Heather Day. I remember our conversation with Abdul Ali was a great one for just feeling really inspired and kind of keeping a a good attitude through the work that you produce, I can definitely get like very melancholic and super down on myself. So I feel like I take a lot of the, I don't know, I guess the positive energy and the the inspiration from our podcast. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll cover more of this in our mid-season recap, which by the way, for listeners, after Amanda and I interview each other, we've been planning to do this mid-season recap where we really kind of talk about, you know, what we've learned through the season so far, what's ahead for Beyond the Studio. So I'm sure we'll get into all of this more too. But um, I think it's it's helpful to hear how some of the things that you've learned through Beyond the Studio have impacted your own business. Because, I mean, I know for one that I 
I probably would not have been in a position to pursue my own art practice full-time had it not been for the podcast and what I've learned through it. So I just think these conversations have been so invaluable. And I know we'll talk more about this in future episodes, but this is kind of a a shift in gears. Um, But you mentioned this earlier and something I also wanted to talk about um, that's been a bit of, of good that's come out of the pandemic is that you and Mike recently bought a house in early 2021 so i would love to hear about what that process has been like for you and some of the ways that that's just changed um not just close call studio but your life personally that's a a big a goal that i know that the two of you have had for a long time and i'm just so excited for you guys and i also got to visit their house recently um i'm sure we'll talk about this in my interview but i was in Baltimore um, earlier this year installing a project in Washington DC and got to stay with Amanda and hang out for a couple days so uh, it was just so fun to see how your vision has kind of expanded into this space and it just it feels so much like the two of you and your personalities are just present all throughout it and so it was really fun to see how Close Call Studio has expanded and the way that your creativity has seeped into every area of your house. So congrats to you guys again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So let's see. I guess I'll start at the very, very beginning. Um, I was born in 1990. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I was. (laughs) But uh, Mike and I had tried to start the process of buying a house probably like three or four years ago. And we went to the bank. We told them, hey, we want to buy a house. Um, I believe it was before I had gone full time. Oh, actually, what is time? It might be like five years ago. I believe it was when I was still working at Apple or maybe even before I was working at Apple. (laughs) Before the podcast, uh, Mike and I wanted to buy a house and... We went to the bank. We were like, hey, we want to buy a house. And they were like, you guys can both go get real jobs for two years and then come back and ask again. Um, at the Which time, is so crazy. Oh, I and I just, well, it's worth noting too, Mike is a musician. So you two are both independent creatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on paper at that time, I was a barista, a self-employed artist, and I, I may have been also working at Apple at that time. I can't remember. But I was working several jobs. Mike was a musician that was touring a lot while also working in a restaurant. Um, we could afford to make mortgage payments. And they said, hard pass. Uh, so we have spent the last couple of years trying to figure out the money end of it. We finally did. And I mean, it's different for everybody how they get the money to buy a house but typically people go through a bank they get a loan and we started looking again more seriously in October of 2020 that was after having been quarantined in our very small apartment for most of the year together you needed um, some more space (laughs) running multiple businesses yeah multiple both of us running multiple businesses. I mean, Mike is in, he, he has three music-related projects. 
in addition to his job at the the like small amp business where he's a, a builder and yeah we just were running out of space and my business was growing which was awesome but it was taking up more space in the house that you just couldn't put anything away anymore because there was nowhere to put anything I mean we had inventory under our bed inventory in our closet inventory in all places <laughs> uh so we kind of reached a point where either Mike and I were both going to rent studios outside of the home or we would try to find a house that had enough space for us to each have a studio. And we realized it would be more cost effective to buy than to be supporting three rents between us, which it potentially could have been four because they also may need to get a new practice space for their band. So we were like... How many places are we renting? That's too many. So mm-hmm. we'll try to buy. We started house hunting. Yeah. End of October. Um, I think we ended up seeing like 13 or 14 houses. Uh, we tried to put an offer in on three of them. Uh, we eventually got a got a yes. Uh, we got a lot of just no, nothing crickets. It was a really, I mean, I don't know everyone's circumstances with buying a house but from what i heard buying a house in 2020 was chaotic yeah Uh, and i am not in that process either but i've heard the same so added kudos to you for making it happen (laughs) in a really difficult time it was really aggressive and i think the only reason that i was able to actually make it work as far as like timing because i've I feel like stuff was just getting swiped out from under you. You're like scheduling to look at the house and you're like, just kidding. Someone just bought it. And you're like, this went up yesterday or this went up an hour ago. Um, It was just really aggressive. And a lot of people were overpaying a lot for their houses. So it was really stressful. A lot of seeing houses that didn't didn't quite work. Uh, A lot of emotions a lot of just being scared and feeling totally clueless because unless you're a realtor or work in some capacity of like the house buying process, it just feels really scary and daunting and like nobody explains it to you. You're just like, okay, I guess we're moving forward. I guess this is just happening. I mean, we bought a house and I still don't totally understand how it happened. However, (laughs) our, our realtor understood. So I guess that's really what mattered the most. Uh, we eventually found and bought our house in January. We moved in in February and we have been here since. It's been great. I mean, it also has been stressful and scary and expensive and just feels very surreal, but it has been really great to like grow into a bigger studio space, to have some separation literally with work. Now that we have a house, we have a garden. So I spend like If the weather allows, I will be outside in that garden, um, which has been my therapy, which is great because on this self-employed artist, insurance therapy is not an option for me, unless I was paying out of pocket, which is not there yet. But the house and the garden have been a really, a really nice creative project. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a good distraction through the stress and fatigue of, of being in this pandemic. And um, 
Yeah. The house is also just the change of scenery has been inspiring creatively. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just so excited for the two of you again to be in this new house and to have an official studio for each of you. And I'll include photos. I'll share photos of the, I'll give a a tour. Oh, please do. Yeah. Check out uh, Beyond the Studio's Instagram for more dreamy studio photos. Mm Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe I'll make us a reels. Ooh. That's that's what the internet requires these days. Moving pictures, folks. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> starting to make some videos. <sighs> um, I wanted to know, um, you know, since we're kind of nearing the end of the year here, and I think, you know, we've we've talked to the two of us just about how difficult long-term planning has been throughout this pandemic and how really we just had to focus on what was right in front of us and, you know, getting through the next day or month. And, you know, since we're, we're slowly starting to shift into a place that feels maybe a little bit more stable than it did, I'm wondering, um, cause this is something I'm asking myself too, as I'm in this big period of transition, um, what are some of the biggest questions or challenges that you're facing right now with your creative business? And um, what are maybe some of your goals, either short term, um, you know, for the next week or month or long term, if you are thinking that way um, for, for Close Call Studio? Yeah. So right now we're recording this at the end of September and I have just started working on my holiday inventory Um, I'm trying to take the lessons that I learned from the last holiday season, which was stressful and overwhelming and just pure work and no enjoying the season. So I'm trying to take those lessons that I learned and apply them to this year, trying to set some better boundaries. Uh, My goal is to actually enjoy the holidays. I mean, it'll be our first holiday season in the house. I'm like, Will we get trick-or-treaters? Aww. Do we like do we decorate for Christmas? Like we're not doing anything for Thanksgiving, but I mean I don't really care about Christmas either. But I just like I, I like celebrating seasonal things and making the house cute for it. So <laughs> I'm excited for that. Um, but I want to actually enjoy the season. I feel like in the past October through January, it's just like I'm going to be burnt out and exhausted and generally unavailable for anything relating to fun or family or friendship or travel. So I'm trying to get back to enjoying my time. So what I I did uh, earlier this week, basically I planned out what I need to or my financial goal for the holiday season and then from that number figured out what I need to produce this year as far as what products, how many of them, figuring out how how many I need to produce each day. So I tried to plan ahead as best I could for this holiday season. And I made myself a, a bigger goal than I needed to. So if I fall short, I'm okay. But if I meet my goal, then I've technically exceeded my goal. So that's the goal, (laughs) if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense at all. But yeah, I'm trying to have a plan. In the past, like I said, with the holidays, it was sort of like just say yes to the orders that come in and produce that. So this is 
a, a different approach, which will hopefully result in me having some better time, which is really the, the forced byproduct of the lesson learned of, of burnout and, and exhaustion and, you know, the effects on your mental health when you work too much. <laughs> so I, I have learned through the pandemic that the more I care for myself, the more I care for myself. So the better I take care of my mind and my body, the better I feel about myself, the better I take care of my mind and body. So it just becomes a cycle of feeling better, which I've been feeling not great uh, a lot of the pandemic. And I mean, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. No one be worried. Mom, especially. I know you're listening. <laughs> but, you know, like, like all of us, I would hope I'm, I'm not unaffected by, by the pandemic. It definitely affects my mental health, not being able to travel or see people or, or really do things normally. And I've found that through the pandemic, I definitely am way more anxious than I used to be. And I'm way more introverted than I used to be. So just trying to adapt my actions through my my changing needs, trying to plan better professionally and personally so that I can enjoy my time in my life more and also enjoy the work that I'm producing and produce the work that I enjoy making. Yeah, especially through this last year where, you know, so much of our energy has been just focused on being in survival mode. I think there really is something so powerful about prioritizing our own health mentally, physically, emotionally, and just what I love about what you said earlier, um, just bringing more humanity into our work and our businesses. And I mean, I feel like that's one thing that's really changed in our conversations with Beyond the Studio um, that I've noticed oh, yeah. throughout this last year is that it's not just about, you know, the practical resources and like strategies that we can use to live more creative lives, but really, you know, talking about how how our mental health is connected to it all and, and just how are, how are we doing as people. And I think you know, I used to think maybe this was something unique to creative industries, but now I just feel like this is part of, you know, whatever discipline you're in, that's just, you know, the intersection of your personal and professional work and life um, is is really blurred. And so I think talking about how how you're navigating all of those things is equally important. Yeah. And I didn't talk about this yet, but I was look I was skimming at my notes in this most relevantly ties in here. The year we started the podcast was also the year that I was thinking, and this was also, I mean, this came after the 2016 election. There were so many shifts of like, okay, I want things to look different than they look. How can I make that happen? Which I'm sure was sort of in the back of our minds a little bit as we started the podcast, just being like, okay, something we we gotta have good conversations about something hopeful yeah um, and of course just being young I mean we're still young but being young in your creative career you just you just want to grow and learn as much as you can and you have to and you need to in order to really make it happen but I know also that year is when I started making like really thinking about my values as an individual and how I can inject that into 
how I am professionally and, and how I run my business. I mean, in the like very obvious sense, it's like, okay, if I'm vegan, I'm not going to use animal products in my work. If I believe in sustainability and caring for the environment, I'm going to think about the lifespan of the things that I produce, what materials are involved, who's involved in producing those materials. And the last couple years, especially thinking even more, like how can I leverage the work that I create to share the messages I believe in? And how can I use my work to raise funds to, you know, further my reach than what I could possibly personally donate? Like how can I leverage my, my skills or, or community or whatever uh, to make a greater impact? And it's been really cool to have our conversations on the podcast go more in the direction of like how our values impact the way we work. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know we're obviously all thinking about that more now through the pandemic and like, again, out of necessity, but also out of like, how can we shift this world to, to work for us better instead of just laboring all of our time and energy for, you know, nothing. <laughs> Not to be totally doom doomsy, but I think uh, <laughs> I'm really excited to see the the greater shift in or in conversations on our podcast from professional to personal and expanding more within both of those sort of spheres, and also trying to think as an artist myself, like how can I continue to further build my values into the work that I produce and how can I use the work or use myself and my work to further my impact and and further my, I don't know, my connection with the community around me. Mm, Yeah, Um, I love that. And I know the podcast has been, it's funny when we started, I was just thinking like, we're going to ask artists who make a living as artists, how they make a living as artists. And now we are asking those questions, but it's there's a lot more to those questions. And I know the podcast has made me a better person, a better artist, a better thinker, a more inquisitive. Yeah, I I mean, this is a sort of dis- disjointed summary, but I really have loved being a part of this podcast. And I can't believe that four years later, we're having to update ourselves, like our information to our listeners, um, because we yeah, would have thought so much. I know. I mean, when we recorded those first interviews, I remember thinking like, this is going to live forever. Like I have to present myself just right. And I remember so soon afterwards, how much my circumstances had changed. And I think that is a really cool lesson to take in life, like where we feel that we are right now, you can only see so far into the future and generally mm-hmm. you can't at all. So we tend to think like, this is the best that I'm ever going to be. This is the the most confident I'll be. This is the most successful I'll be. But there's so much more moving forward that we can continue to do and so much more growth, so much more opportunity for learning. And it's cool to have some of it recorded in, in our stories. I know I... I learned from looking back and I can't wait to see what it what we're doing four years from now when we gotta update these again. Yeah, it's really eye-opening because four years ago it doesn't sound like 
that long ago, but on the other hand, it seems like a lifetime ago. And listening back to those interviews really, (laughs) oh, I don't know. It just made me feel like, oh, we were such babies and (laughs) so much has changed. But, you know, I think having those recorded really does serve as a reminder of where we were at that moment in time. And it really was valuable to listen back and to have this record of, you know, how much, how much has changed and how we've grown. And so um, that's really how I look at all of the conversations that we've had is, you know, it's reflective of a moment in time. And that um, I don't think when we started the podcast either, we had this long-term vision for what it could become uh, like we do now, where I feel like there is real power and potential in sharing our own stories and sharing other artists' stories and what that can do for creating a culture of transparency throughout the art world. And as a result, you know, our, our mission, I think that's the one thing that has always stayed the same, that we hope that other artists feel empowered by learning and listening and by being able to share the expertise that we have with one another um, so that we can apply that to our own lives and that ultimately we can all live more sustainable careers. And I think that, at least for me, has really crystallized throughout this last year where, you know, we've all, I think collectively as an industry struggled, you know, the creative industry was one of the hardest hit by the pandemic and We don't need to go into all the ways that's (laughs) happened here, but, um, you know, we know this. And so I think that anything that can help to shed light on the realities of making a living as an artist, um, that, that helps us value that creative labor more, um, is immensely important in, you know, trying to create a kind of creative world and industry that values artists and their time and really supports them in different ways. So that's, I guess, what we hope to do or to contribute a little bit to going forward. And yeah, this was really fun. I hope that we can, uh, you know, a few years from now, uh, (laughs) update our interviews again, and we'll see what else has changed. But yeah, thank you for... uh for interviewing me and listeners thank you for taking the time to hear me talk a lot this is hopefully going to be less cringy to listen back to than the first one. Oh, no doubt because that was that was hard to listen to yeah like you said we, yeah i know when we started the podcast we definitely came at it from the perspective of like we are not experts we are here with the questions because we have no answers and I can confidently say that four years later, we still don't know what we're doing. But <laughs> we have managed to learn a lot. But we've learned and some grow things. a lot. And um, despite being clueless, we still managed to be, or we are still managing to be okay. And uh, if that's not a lesson in life, I don't know what is. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. 